Let me encourage you to take your copy of God's Word and go to Hebrews chapter 10. This is page 1006, if you're using one of the Bibles provided for you there. I neglected to welcome our guest today. And so if your guest with us, thanks so much for being here. Uh, there's a guest card in the pocket in front of you. I encourage you to fill that out if possible. There's a welcome table in that back corner over there. And uh, drop that off over there. I try to get over there if I can right after the service. My name is Jeremy. I'd love to chat with you some more. Um, but we have a gift for you. And they're world's best brownies ever. And they really are. And so we'd love for you to have some of those, take some of those home. And uh, thank you for being here. Appreciate that. Hebrews chapter 10, getting safely home. I don't know about you, but whenever I would go on a trip, uh, particularly when I was in college or whatever, my parents would always, particularly my mom, would always uh, say, you know, call me when you get there, right? And even to this day. Uh, we were just in Michigan over uh, right after Christmas. You know, we had a Christmas Eve service, and then uh, we, uh, we headed our way to, to Michigan to be with my family. And so we arrived on Christmas Day uh, at my parents' house, and, uh, and just great, great time. But then time comes for us to come home, and we come home. And one of the last things my parents usually say to me is, good riddance. No, I'm saying what they say to me is, we love you, and text or call when you get there, right? Okay. And, I, and if I were to take a poll, I'm sure that many of your families do the exact same thing, right? And the reason why is because we love our families and we want to make sure that they get safely there. We understand that the, my parents understood that the time when we left their driveway in Michigan, Detroit area of Michigan, till we pulled into our driveway here in Madison, that there's a lot of things that could happen in between there. There's a lot of miles, there's a lot of danger, there's a lot of things that could go wrong, and so what they want to do is they want to be assured in their soul and their heart that their loved ones have made it safely home. You know, in a spiritual way, it's the same way. We have a destination that we're all heading towards, and yet there's a lot of danger along the way. There's a lot of things that can go wrong, there's a lot of problems that can happen, and we need to make sure that we're helping each other get safely home and so this text of Scripture is going to be helpful to us in that regard today. Um, I don't have time to go through the whole chapter here, but to give you an idea of what has happening already so you can kind of get a sense of the context of it, what has happened is, is that uh, the author, we do not know who the author of Hebrews is, but whoever this author was, he or she, he had most likely had put uh, the, uh, uh, the idea of Christ's sacrifice being once for all, being delivered uh, uh, for us. And so he was comparing it to the, the, the sacrifice that um, uh, the Old Testament system had, how Christ was once for all, and it was a uh, a, a complete forgiveness of sins. Because under the old system, there wasn't true forgiveness of sins. There was a covering of sin for a time through the sacrificial system. But they had to keep sacrificing over and over again. Now what he's arguing that with Christ, he says, there is forgiveness. So in verse 18 of chapter 10, it says, where there is forgiveness of these, he's talking about some former things, there is no longer any offering for sin. Now, this brings us to the context that we want to talk about in verse 19 here. It says this, 
Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter holy places by the blood of Jesus. Before, he was saying that only high priests could go once a year into the Holy of Holies in the tabernacle and in the temple. But now, because of Christ, we have access to God. Because the Holy of Holies was the, the, the place, the symbolic place where the presence of God was. And so, in order to be in the presence of God in the holy place, you had to be uh, covered once a year by a sacrifice by the high, great high priest. And only the high priest could go in there. But he says, now we have confidence because of Jesus to enter holy places by the blood of Jesus. By the new, verse 20, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain that is through his flesh. And since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart. There's going to be three commands in this text that we're reading. I just read the first one. They, both, they all start, all three start with let us. And so there was the first one. Let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith. With our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering for he who promised is faithful. And then verse 24, and let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. For if we go on sinning deliberately after receiving the knowledge of truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins but a fearful expectation of judgment and a fury of fire that will consume the adversaries. Anyone who has set aside the law of Moses dies without mercy and the evidence of two or three witnesses. How much worse punishment do you think will be deserved by the one who has spurned the Son of God and has profaned the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified and has outraged the Spirit of grace? For we know him who said, Vengeance is mine, I will repay. And again, the Lord will judge his people. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of of the living God. And so we have a text of scripture before us that has been read that is both encouraging and sobering all at the same time. I don't have time, uh, and it won't be the purpose of this message, to look at all three of those commands. We're going to focus our attention on the last one. But to understand it, let me just mention just a very brief word about the first two. And the first one is talking about, and all three are talking about how to live out the Christian faith, how to live out our faith. And so if you're here today and you claim to be a, a, a believer in Christ, as I do, I, I claim to be a follower of Christ, and I want people to know that, and, so, and that's the same thing with you. If you claim to be a Christian, then we need to know how to live out that faith. In Christ. This text is very helpful. There's three commands. The first one, there it says, let us draw near with a true heart of full assurance of faith. And so we have to draw near to God through faith. We have to follow Christ in faith. We have to seek a, a, a relationship with him where we love him supremely and where his desires become our desires and then his desires govern our life's choices. That's the first command. The second command there is let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering for he who promises faithful. He's saying this life is going to be difficult. When you're living out the Christian life, you're going to have times where you're going to doubt God. And he says, hold fast. The one who promised those things is faithful. 
And so there's a lot of miles to cover between when we start on this pilgrimage until when we get home. And we need to get safely home. And he's saying, as you're living out your faith, he says, you got to hold fast to the hope that you have in the promise of God because he who promised those things is faithful. So we need to draw near to God in faith. We need to have this hope in his promises. And then the last one, which we're going to spend more time today, is talking about love. And that there's a, uh, those three, that triad that comes throughout the New Testament often, faith, hope, and love. And 1 Corinthians, we see it. We see it in many different places. But we see that these are core elements to us living out the Christian life. So faith, hope, and love. Let's talk about this idea of love. I have a very simple message planned for today. Um, the outline isn't very complex. Um, it's just a way to, just to simply walk through this text and hopefully be helped to us as we look forward to 2019 and how we interact with each other and how we need to bear the responsibility of getting each other safely home. And so if I'm going to give you a thesis statement, it would be that we need each other to get safely home. We need each other to get safely home. We can't do it alone. God did not intend it for that way. God did not design our lives to be independent, autonomous uh, lives. Now, we have to have independence. We have to live autonomously at times. But we are interconnected, and God designed it that way in order to get safely home. So we'll just unpack that for the next few minutes this morning. First of all, we all need help. We all need help. We see here in this text here, it says, let us consider, okay, us that consider, he's talking about everyone here, okay, we all need to do this. He's not saying, okay, okay, you over there, you need to consider this, okay? Okay, so this is, this is a, you know, Rob needs to think about this right now, okay? No, he's saying all of us, all of us, let us consider this. This is something we all need. And we all need help with this idea of getting safely home. It says, let us consider uh, how to stir up one another to love and good works. And so we need to stop, we need to think, we need to strategize how we can stir one another up to love and good works. We all need help with that. Now, what you would think those two things, love and good works, why would we need help with those two things? Why would we need help with the idea of love, of stirring up one another to love? Why would that be something that I would have a responsibility towards my brother Jason here? Why would it be something that Jason has a responsibility towards JP here of stirring each other up to love? Isn't isn't that a natural thing? Well, the answer is no, it's actually not. Love is actually very hard. It's a hard decision to consistently make, right? Right? Okay? Now, now relationships, we start, we're in love, and, 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 and we see nothing wrong with the other person, right? And then, you know, and, and then a year or so goes by, and then you just realize that person has some unique characteristics about them that you find less enjoyable, Okay, let me put it a different way. You're annoyed with each other, okay? All right? <laughs> so there's things that just annoy each other after a while. Because, why? Because, because it's difficult. We all have things about us, personality traits, that makes it hard to love at times. I understand that. I, 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 and we have to stir one another up to love what we should love. Now, the primary application, of course, is not marriage in this text. The primary application, this idea, is our love of God. And, and so we need to encourage each other to stir one another up 
to love God. Because I get distracted. I get distracted by the things of this world, right? And, and, and things, they, they, they seem uh, 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 so pleasurable. They seem something that is, it, it would be a good idea to me at the, person, at the time. And I need people to come alongside me and say, Jeremy, no, 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 follow Christ. Love God. Love God, love people, serve the world. This is what you are called to do. If the decisions that you're making right now, is that reflecting a love of God? We need to stir one another. This, I mean, this, the text is very clear here. Consider how to stir up one another to love. Love is a hard choice to consistently make. And love is a choice. You know, I, I, I've shared this with you before. Uh, I'm sure I have. There are plenty of times, you know, see, I, I was always the, the child that got the most attention growing up because that's a code word for trouble. Um, and I, uh, I remember one time me being uh, probably antagonistic towards mom, uh, arguing a case, a point or something like that, and just, you know, I wouldn't let something go. And I remember mom saying to me, Jeremy, I want you to know that I love you, but I don't like you right now. You need to go, okay? All right? And, and I remember like, wait a minute here. You can't say that. You're my mom. You're supposed to like me. And then I realized, no, she doesn't have to like me, all right? You know, but mom was saying, I'm going to consistently love you even when it's difficult, right? And I think all of us who are parents, we've understood that feeling at some point in time. But what about God? What about our relationship with God? We need to be encouraged over and over again to love God. Because we get distracted. So that's the reason why we all need help. But there's a second part to that. It says that, you know, solicit to stir one another. Consider how to stir up one another's love in good works. And so, first of all, love, but good works go against our DNA. So good works go against our DNA. And so this is the reason why we need people to encourage us to do the right thing. Because naturally, we're pretty selfish. Naturally, we want to do only what pleases us. And so this is why we need to be encouraged to say, no, do the good things for other people. Do the good things for the glory of God, for the kingdom's sake. This is what you need to do. So we have to have people speaking that truth in our lives. Every one of us here needs that because we all get distracted. So we all need help. Secondly, we need to provoke each other in a good way. The word provoke there is, you know, that's when it talks about stirring up there, that's the word provoke, okay? And some translations actually have that. We need to provoke one another in a good way. Because, and the reason I put it in a good way is because the word provoke has a negative connotation. And actually, in the book of Acts, it is also used in a negative way. The word itself is neutral. It can be used for a positive or a negative outcome. But the reality is, is that we need to incite. We need to provoke. We need to stir up. We need to cause these things. In each other. Now, this is the part of the message I want to take just a little bit more time and trying to develop it a little bit because this is the main part of the verse that he talks about because he gives us in verse 25 how we are to provoke each other. He gives it to us right here in the text. And the first one is not neglecting to meet together as a habit of some. 
So we need to refuse. If we're going to provoke each other in a good way, we need to refuse to abandon each other. You say, that's a pretty strong word, Jeremy. That's what the word means. When it talks about uh, neglecting to meet together, it has the idea of uh, abandoning, deserting, forsaking, leaving. And so it appears in this first century that there were people, because it says, as is the habit of some, that they had started to neglect, started to abandon, started to forsake the gathering together of believers. Now, it's encouraging to know that the first century church had the exact same problems that we have, right? <laughs> okay? You know, sometimes we look back and we think, man, I, I, I want to see, we look at Acts, and we're like, man, I want that. I want the first century church, you know, for today. And there's some things that we actually should strive to be there. But if you read your New Testament, you realize they had the exact same problems that we did. And here's an example of that. And so we don't know exactly all the reasons why these people were not meeting together, uh, and there's things that we can surmise, and I can give you some ideas, and I will in a second here, but I think it's instructive that the answers I give there, because there is a wide range of reasons, just like there is today. I think that probably the, the number one reason why some were forsaking and some were not meeting together, though, during this time of the first century was because of persecution. Uh, this was a time where persecution was happening of the church. If they call themselves Christians, it could have easily meant imprisonment, if not loss of life. And so that would discourage people from gathering together. If I, put, if I gather with a group of believers, I'm just painting a big target on my back, right? And so some said, no, we're not going to meet together. That could be one reason. Another reason could be the idea of, is Jesus really coming back? I mean, this is the reason why he'll talk about it in just a minute, even more as you see the day approaching. You know, Jesus was promised to return, and yet they had thought that it was going to be within weeks or months or at the most a couple years, but he wasn't coming back, and he wasn't coming back, and he wasn't coming back. And so it could have easily been a situation where they're like, is he really going to come back? Am I going to risk everything for someone that I don't know? that is going to be faithful to his promise. That could be a possibility. Another one could be an idea of they wanted to hang on to a former life still and have a life of Christ but not fully commit. That could be a reason. And then another reason, a potential reason, is just plain apathy. It wasn't a big deal to them. They didn't care. Regardless of the reason, the author here says we need to work at stirring each other up so that they don't do this. And we need to make sure that we meet together and we don't abandon each other. Because that's the word he's using here is this idea of abandoning. It's a very selfish thing when we don't prioritize meeting together. And so the obvious implication here is our weekly gathering here. Now, we try to keep our schedule pretty light here as a church throughout the week because we recognize there is a lot of demands on people's times. We recognize that. We feel it ourselves. We understand it. So we try to keep the schedule pretty light throughout the week. But one thing we, we, we insist on is we, got, we have a Sunday morning gathering here. We have a Sunday school hour ahead of time, and then we have a small group that we encourage people to be part of. That's really what we're asking the people of our church to be involved in. Now, the other ministries are great, and we want people involved in those, but we get it with work schedules and things like that. But 
you come to, to morning service here, Sunday school is awesome, and then a, a small group, we're hitting this text here, I believe. And so this is the application that we're trying to say is like, hey, we need to stir one another up to do this. And I've said this a lot. I said this to, I say this to deacons. I say this to other men in the church, ladies in the church. And I'll say, you know, you really, in a lot of ways, have much more influence in the church than I do. Um, because I stand up here right now, as I'm doing right now, and I'm saying, basically, you need to be in church, right? And so all of you are thinking, well, of course he's going to say that. He's a pastor. Of course he's going to say that. I mean, he doesn't want to preach to empty chairs, right? You know, and, and he's a pastor, and of course he's, he, that's an important thing to him. Um, and so he's going to say that. And I, and I get that on some level. But if someone else in the church comes alongside to someone and says, you know, you really need to make it a priority to be in church with me. I, I, I really want to worship with you. I want to worship Christ with you. I think it would be helpful if we worship Christ together. That's going to have a much greater impact on that person than if I continue to preach sermons on it, you know, because of the expectation of the influence. And so I just encourage you, this is the text of what is being said here. Let us, all of us, consider how to stir up one another. The way to do this is not neglecting to meet together. Don't forsake each other. It, it, as I said, it's a selfish thing if we don't prioritize meeting together. Too often we look at church of what we will get out of it. And if we, if we remove ourselves from those gatherings, we're implicitly saying, or we could even say explicitly, but at least implicitly saying, I don't need it. And I would put it this way. We have, we have people who are preparing their Sunday school lessons, and we have people who are preparing the, the musicians here that are working every week to make sure that we have opportunities to sing praises to God. And, and of course, with, with the preparations for the message and things like that, if, if, if people say that, I don't, I don't want to be part of that. They're basically saying this, what you, your work doesn't, it has no value to me. And so I just encourage you to encourage each other and to prioritize meeting together. Now, a lot of you, you're saying, well, man, you're preaching to the choir because I'm, I'm here. I get that. But 2019, we're in the beginning of 2019. I would encourage you just to look ahead and try to strategize, okay, how many Sundays am I really going to be gone? We're all going to miss Sundays. I'm going to miss Sundays. You're going to miss Sundays. I get it. Vacations happen. Sickness has happened. No problem. Get that. Want you to take your vacations. Don't want you to get sick. But if you are, I do want you to stay home. Okay? All right? So the point is, is I get that it's going to happen. Right? But I think sometimes the number of times we miss the corporate gatherings is much higher than we actually think it is. So just, just think about it. That's all I'm trying to say. Just think about it, because that's what the text says. Let us consider. That's what we're doing here. We're considering how we can stir each other up to do this. And so refuse to abandon each other. The second way to do this that he talks about, the second way to stir one another is to encourage each other. We need to increase our encouragement of each other. And it says here, encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. So this should be something that we're encouraging. Now, this word encourage means to earnestly support or to come alongside of is really what this word is talking about here, okay? So we need to, we need to come up alongside someone, okay? And so, you know, uh, 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 we just need to make sure that we're walking with each other, we're spending time with each other to do that. I was trying to think of a good illustration of this, and then I happened to see a former student of mine. She was in a youth group, my very first youth group that I had. Uh, her name is Barb. 
and um, Barb uh, it w- is mostly deaf, and, um, and, and of course she's a grown woman now with children, married with children, but I, I saw on Facebook that she had posted a picture. You see, you got to understand something about Barb is not only is she deaf, but in the last couple of years she's been losing her eyesight as well. And so she's becoming uh, a, a blind, and she doesn't see hardly anything at all anymore. But she had an opportunity to uh, go skiing, okay? Now, let's think about this. We have someone who can't see uh, very well at all that wants to go skiing. And so there's actually a program for this. And so four people surrounded her and helped her ski. And so they had to put all these, you know, uh, name badges on or whatever like that uh, to, to show everyone on the slopes, hey, you know, stay away here. And the, the gentleman on the left there, uh, he actually skied down the slope backwards, okay? Um, and Barb was focusing on him the whole time. And, and whatever she could hear him say, she was, but she had to focus on, on him. And she said the only thing that she could see while she was going down the slope was this guy's hands, like just motions that he would do with his hands and say, okay, left, right, or whatever the case may be. She couldn't even see the fact that he was on skis, okay? So she's feeling this going down, and she's focusing on him. And then we had other people around here. So there's a quick video. Go ahead and show the video. This is of her going down the slope. Go ahead and show it. So you can see that her, her skis are actually tethered to her friend. Okay, isn't that cool? I mean, isn't that cool? So, so you, had, you have someone that's literally holding the ropes to her skis, and we have another person skiing backwards, okay? And we have other people around there making sure people don't crash into her, okay? Just so Barb can get down the slope safely. If that's not a picture for the Christian life, I don't know what is. It's not convenient to ski backwards in case you didn't realize that, okay? Uh, It's a little difficult to do that. But yet, this man was willing to do that for the sake of someone who she, he wanted to have this experience of skiing down. And and there was other people who had to, to hold on to the ropes and to make sure she didn't get out of control. This is what God has called us to do. This is what God has called us to do. It's, it, it, it's, it, it's inconvenient at times to help one another. It's inconvenient at times to stir up one another to love and good works. It's, it's inconvenient at times, and it's hard work at times, and it causes so much more difficulty on our lives to help one another out. But that's what it's called. It would be much easier for this guy to point his skis right down the slope and just shoot down the slope and then be done with it. It would have been a much easier way for him to do that. But he wouldn't have helped Barb get down there. 
And that's what God's called us to do. He's called us to come alongside. That's what it means to encourage, to come alongside someone and say, let's get down the slope together. Let's get safely home together. That's my goal for this church. That's my vision that we, as a church, we are people who just come alongside each other and help each other out in the physical ways and in the spiritual ways. That we talk to each other. That we're honest with each other. Now, I understand that not every relationship is going to be on the same level. I get that. And that's okay. You don't have to be best friends with everybody in the room. But there should be someone else in your church family that you can go down the slopes together with. That is going to be hanging on to your skis and you're hanging on to their skis and you're just helping each other get down. That's what God's called us to do. And he's called us to do this even more and to increase this as we see the day drawing near. And so when we look at the world and we think Jesus cannot, his return cannot be far off because it is so bad out there. That could be a very true statement. But when we say Jesus has to be coming back, it should also be a reminder to us to encourage each other. That's what the text is saying. Even more as you see that day approaching. So if you wake up tomorrow and you read the newspaper, you read uh, online your news channel, whatever it is, and you think in your mind, this world can't get much worse. Jesus has to be coming back. Your next thought should be that I need to encourage someone today. That's what the text is telling us to do. And so we want to be obedient to the text of Scripture here in our church, and so this is what we want to do. But here's the point. We cannot encourage each other if we do not interact with each other. It's impossible. We have to interact with each other on some level. This is the reason why we are putting such emphasis on asking people to be part of a small group, be part of the weekly gathering here, because it's in those small groups where we'll have opportunities to pray together. It's in those small groups that we'll have an opportunity to get to know each other better. There are people that are in our small group that I know so much better because simply by the fact that they're, we're in a small group together. And it's not a big deal. We, we get together, we talk about the message, and we pray together, and that's about it. We just kind of interact with each other. Not a lot of, uh, of lesson preparations, no homework or anything like that. It's pretty basic and pretty simple. And so... I encourage you this year, be part of a small group. We have a list of them at the Welcome Center, a welcome table over there, and we can start more. We can start more uh, small groups if, if they're needed. So this is a practical way for us to prioritize encouraging one another and getting safely down the slope together and getting safely home. I need to close with one more point, and that is this. This is where it gets sobering. We cannot afford to get this wrong. We cannot afford to get this wrong. Look at verse 26. It says, For if we go on sinning deliberately after receiving the knowledge of truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a fearful expectation of judgment and a fury of fire that will consume all the adversaries. He goes back and talks about the Moses, law of Moses. I've already read it. I'm not going to read it again. I will skip down to verse 31, though, and say, It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of a living God. You know, we talk about God's love and we talk about God's patience and talk about God's compassion and his kindness. And those are all true. But he is also just and he is also holy and he will judge sin. 
And this is something that we just cannot afford to get wrong because this is God's design for his church, that we do what we're saying here. We, we encourage one another. We stir one another, one another up to love and good work. We're helping each other do this, primarily through meeting together and spending time together, but then also in other ways of just helping each other out. This is what God's plan is for us, to have spiritual friendships. We have to have spiritual friendships. Every person in this room needs to have a spiritual friendship. That's God's design. And if we don't, as a church, if we're a church of people who just come in on a Sunday morning, we sing a few songs together, and we leave, and we don't see each other, don't think about each other, don't encourage each other for the week, we are going to get it wrong. We're going to flunk what God has told us to do. That is, and so as, as a pastor here, as a brother, as a friend, as someone who, who wants to obey Christ, and there's so many other people in this room that want to obey Christ, I'm encouraging us to prioritize our spiritual friendships this year. And it is hard. And it is taxing. And it is difficult. And sometimes you even wonder if it's worth it. But it is. I go back to that skier skiing backwards. It's hard. It's difficult. He inconvenienced himself, and he wondered, is it that big of a deal? I'm sure at some point, but it was. He got her safely down. So I encourage us to do the same thing. We can't afford to get this wrong. We cannot afford to deliberately sin against God. He's been, he's, it's been very clear. He's made it very clear to us what we should be doing. If we have no desire to meet with God's people, we need to understand that we're not desiring God. And you say, well, is that true? You say, well, no, because I, I, you say, well, I don't know if that's true, Jeremy, because I, I, you know, I like reading my Bible. I like my prayer time. I like my time alone with God. I just don't like God's people. I just don't like it. Yeah, I get it. At times, we know each other. I understand that. But the reality is we cannot say we love God and we don't love each other. How do I know that? First John. First John chapter 4. Whoever loves God must also love his brother. Now, you can try to twist that verse, and you can try to work all around it if you want, but it's pretty clear what it's saying there. You say, well, I don't know. Well, okay, let's look at another verse of 1 John. 1 John chapter 5 and verse 2. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and obey his commandments, for this is the love of God that we keep his commandments. John is obviously, incidentally, the author is the one whom Jesus loved, okay? Very close to Jesus. He is saying that if we want to love God, we have to be connected to God's people. Because that's how God's working his plan and expressing himself is through in this age and through this time is through his people, primarily through the word and through his people. And so let me just encourage us. We cannot afford to get this wrong. This has to be a priority for us if we're going to be the church that God wants us to be. Now notice what I'm not saying here. Notice the goals I'm not putting out in front of us. I'm not putting out numeric goals although we will talk about some of that next week. We're going to revisit the whole, I'm going to give a report on the 10, 10, 10 uh, prayer requests that we were praying about throughout 2018, and we're going to talk about that in 2019. But primarily, we're not talking about um, goals of certain dollar amounts in our bank account. What we're talking about is we're talking about obeying this text of Scripture right here. And I think that's a noble task to put in front of us for 2019 that we stir up one another to love and good works. And the primary means by that is meeting together and encouraging each other. We have to spend time with each other. So let me say it again. We need each other 
to get safely home. Bottom line. Let me give you an illustration as I close. If you've ever been to California, you know that one of the things you want to see are these redwood trees. They're massive trees. Anyone seen these in person? Redwood trees? Okay, good. Several of you have. Yeah, yeah. Massive, right? You know, I, I remember a few years ago, Nook and I, uh, we were able to, to go to, I think Mia was very little at that point, and uh, we were able to see some of these trees, and I mean, you just look, you can see that's a car at the bottom over there, and how big those things are, and the grove of them, and all that, and then there's a guy, I don't know how tall that guy is, but uh, I mean, it's just, just massive trees. Now, you would think that a tree that is so tall, you know, two, three hundred feet tall, would have very, very deep roots, or tap root. But the interesting thing about these redwoods is they don't. In fact, roots are fairly shallow given their size. We're talking like five, six feet sometimes. They go down to maybe 10 feet or so, but a lot of times these trees, they very shallow roots. So you say, well, how do, how do they stand? How do they withstand winds if the roots aren't going so deep? Well, they go out by like 100 feet. They're out 100 feet. Well, even then, it seems like, okay, but how is that anchoring them? You know what they do is they grow in groves, and they actually intertwine. One tree's roots intertwines with another tree's roots. And they basically are holding each other up. This is the reason why they can stand. This is the reason why they, you know, they can withstand these winds, because you figured that's so tall, that would be an easy thing to fall over or knock over, but... Mainly they don't. It's because they're dependent on each other. And even when one tree dies to nutrients and things, they talk about how they share nutrients. And I was reading a little bit about this. Now, I don't know a lot about trees, um, but with a little I read on it, I was amazed by this. And I thought, what a picture of the church, of how we need to be interacting, interlocking with each other, supporting one another. So when those winds come, when those winds of doubt, when those trials and difficulties come, we don't fall over because we're depending on the strength of those around us. God has designed it for us to be together to help each other out. There's one last picture I want to show you, and I got his permission to show it to you. It was on Facebook yesterday. Some of you saw it. This was a, a, a beautiful picture to me, mainly because I've never seen Joe smile in my life before. <laughs> so this was um, a beautiful picture of him holding their newest baby, Georgia. And you know, we've been praying earnestly for her, born so early. Um, but you know what made this picture possible? Is we had three, three young ladies in our church say, we're going to take the other kids, we're going to take them to the zoo, and we're going to spend all day with them, and we're going to take them home, we're going to feed them, so Joe can spend the day, because Joe's back to work now, and so he can spend the day up at the hospital, and he was able to hold Georgia, first time, right? First time. First time he was able to hold Georgia yesterday, and it was made possible because of three young ladies in our church saying, let me take that on. You see, that's a picture of what God has called us to do. Come alongside, encourage one another, support each other. It's been a trial. The copers have been going through a trial, and we're trying to support them, and God's been gracious to them. I talked with Carly the other day, talked with Joe the other day, and both told me they have just felt God's grace and peace through this. Now, it's not easy. It's difficult. I'm not pretending it's easy. 
But the point is, we are supporting, and we need to continue to do that. And some of you are walking through some trials, and let us support you in that. But we got to know, we got to be able to talk to each other. And so that's the goal for 2019, to continue to grow in this. We are growing in this. So by me preaching this message today, this is not coming from, we are not doing this at all, and we need to shape up. No, that's not the tone. The tone is, God's beginning to change us in this regard, and we need to push on the accelerator even more. We need to pray together. We need to be together. Support each other. And we'll be like these redwood trees that can stand up and be supportive with each other. And we can get each other safely home through the grace of God. Sound like a plan? Amen? Let's pray. Father, thank you that we can be part of what you have created. I pray that we would not try to go this alone. I pray that we would be people who depend on each other and are willing to be inconvenienced for each other and love each other. And that means sometimes saying some hard things. That means, that means sometimes insisting on righteousness and obedience when people don't want to obey and it's hard and it's, and it's not pleasant. But Father, I pray that we would push each other to obedience. We're not talking about just having friends here. We're talking about encouraging each other to follow you. And that's what we need. Father, I pray that you'd bless us as we are sinners who, just, who, who need you to save us and redeem us and to change us to be more like Christ. For it's in Christ's name we do pray these things. Amen.